Well, Suzanne said it earlier, we're excited to be kind of launching into our experiencing God, 12 weeks experiencing God um, uh, study, I guess you could say, that we're doing. It's not more a study so much as it's an experience. And I know a bunch of you are going through the workbook and some of you aren't. Um, best I can figure out, according to the amount of books we've sold, about um, three quarters are go- of the adults in the church are going through the book and about a quarter aren't. And you're not, a, you're not a lesser citizen. If you're not, we understand. Um, but we're launching that off today. So hopefully what that means is that you guys, most of you have gone through week one of experiencing God. Those of you who did, was it wonderful? Did you get, was it good? All right, good. I want to point out a few things before we start to preach about that's kind of some themes today that came out of that. Number one is, in day one, And just so you know, if you're not going through the book, every day is not going to be about what did the book say. I'm going to basically try to draw some themes out, but if you didn't go through the book, you'll still still learn and benefit. Um, But in the instructions in day one, the reason I bring this up is it instructed you that Experiencing God Workbook is designed to be done in groups. And I'm doing an experiment. Some people have said to me in our planning sessions, well, shouldn't we organize all these small groups? And I said, I think I want to trust that adults are adults. And that you could actually read the first day. And the first day said in there very clearly that it's not meant to be done alone. And that if there's not an organized small group, you should at least gather with yourself some family or friends and go through the material together once a week. Talk about it. And so I'm trusting that you, that you read that and you're going to do that. You're going to find somebody over a cup of coffee once a week or so to get together and say, what is God saying to you? What are you learning through this experience that we're doing, experiencing God. So, so I want you to be, just to be really aware of the fact that I think in that setting is where you get the greatest benefit from experiencing God. And uh, I just mentioned a minute ago, but I want to just reiterate, in case you're not doing the book, or if you are doing it, my intention on Sunday mornings will not be to cover all the material. Um, I simply will try to draw some themes out of that week's material and sometimes just go off in a different direction based on those themes. And then one more thing before we actually get to the stuff today. Um, out right outside this back window, there's a table set up. And because we're not doing this in a bunch of small groups, I want people, as you go through this experience, and God does something in relationship to what you're studying, you suddenly kind of changes the way maybe you look at life, and because he changes the way you act different, because you act different, you interact different with somebody, and because you interact with it, God does something. I want you to write those down. So right outside here, we have some paper, some envelopes, and it says, write your testimonies down. So that here's what I'm going to do, and this is a risk for me. I'm going to have you write those down, even uh, if you come to church next Sunday and something happened that week, I want you to write that down and put it in that basket. And I'm going to try to implement those or incorporate those testimonies in with what I talk about. It might be the next week, but it might even be that day. And so write them down, put them in that basket. I'm going to actually try to read through them and uh, see if there's a way to incorporate them, or at least use them for the next week. But I want us to get a sense of all the great things God is doing through our, through our adventure and experience in God. All right? I want to begin today by telling you a story. You say, well, I thought you began already. This is the real beginning. I want to tell you a story. If you don't know it, and this is not a big deal, and this is not why we meet, and I'm not in any way honestly trying to elevate this, that because I really don't think God cares about denominations and that stuff. I don't think God's a number counter. Um, but we're as an organization part of, of, a, of a group called the Assemblies of God. It's a, it's a huge 
the largest Protestant denomination in the world, um, and now some 65 million members worldwide. And the Assemblies of God is about a, it's a 99-year-old organization, so it's not very old, just under 100 years old. And what we have been from the very beginning has been a church planting movement. What I mean by that is we, in our roots, we meaning I wasn't there, but we meaning the collective organization, gathered together in 1914 and committed themselves to the greatest move of evangelism in the history of the world. They documented, they said, that's what we're going to do. By the power of the Holy Spirit, we're going to be part of the greatest evangelism effort in the history of humanity. And by God's power, that's going to happen. That's what they dedicated. They put it down. That's what we're doing. And the way they did that was to continually go into new areas everywhere across the country because it started in kind of southern, southern U.S., but it spread around the entire world. And the really very simple plan was go into new places and establish new churches. Just start congregations and start that congregation and that congregation start another congregation. From that congregation start another congregation and just say we want to be a church planting movement. We want to go around the world. Well, since 1914 till today... Um, we have, like I said, 65 million members. We have hundreds and hundreds of thousands of churches all around the world. And for one reason, God, it was God's plan. God called some people to join with them, and God blessed what was going on. It wasn't because of those people in 1914. It wasn't because of the church planters in Wisconsin in 1950. It was because God had a plan, and he used his people. Now, all that to say that in this part of our country, um, in this state, our, the district we're part of was Wisconsin and northern Michigan combined together as part of the Assemblies of God. And in one of the cities in this area for a long time that the Assemblies of God wanted to see a church planted in was Marquette, Michigan. It was, uh, it's a great town. I've got some roots there. It's a great town. And um, it's in the Upper Peninsula. And the Assemblies of God wanted desperately to see a church planted. There had churches established all over the UP, but just never could get a church started in Marquette. Marquette proved to be this really tough place to establish a church. In fact, over a period of about three decades, the Assemblies of God planned and, and invested and, and went to Marquette four different times to try to start a church. And each one of those was incredibly well-intended. It involved really good and godly people. Uh, in all of them... Of involved a lot of money and some of the people involved were people who had incredible success in their past history in establishing churches in tough places yet each one of those attempts failed and the doors were closed down on them then in 1990 up in Ishpeming, Michigan which is a town next to Marquette there was an Assemblies of God church established there some of you people have a history in this area remember a guy named Tom Hodge, Pastor Tom Hodge. Tom Hodge, in the 1940s, planted a church in a town called Deer Lake. And it's outside of, outside of Ishpeming, Marquette, Ishpeming, Deer Lake. He started a church there, and there's another church in National Mine that was started by this guy named Ortwin Hansen, who'd be Paul Hansen's dad, okay? And the former pastor of this church. And those two churches merged to make the Ishpeming Church, and it's a, been a really strong church, and, and that church had been going on for years and years and years and years. And one night at a board meeting at the Ishpeming Church, called Good News Assembly of God, they, these, now I understand, I lived there for 10 years, these are stoic Finlanders. 
They don't get too excited about anything. For them to say God showed up, God's got to really show up. And they tell the story how they were at a board meeting, not dealing with anything with Marquette, but God showed up in their midst at a board meeting, so God can show up at a board meeting, and, and spoke to them and directed them that they were supposed to be part of a helping establish a church in Marquette at that time, that, that God wanted a church established in Marquette, and that he was calling them to help with it, and that this was the main thing he spoke to them, that God would show them who the right pastor was to lead that church plant. And so they owned it as God speaking to them. They hadn't been thinking about it. It wasn't something they were planning on. God just shows up, speaks, says, I'm trying to do this work, and I want you to partner with me in what I'm already doing, and I'm going to show you who the right person to be the pastor of the church is. So as a good, diligent group of church leaders were, they began the process to figure out, well, God, what do you want us to do? Who should lead this thing? That's what you spoke to us about. And so they, they contacted the district office and they said, what should we do and who should it be? And, and so they began to interview people, all kinds of people, to say who should be the pastor of this church plant. And what they did is they did what was very logical. They, they interviewed people who had great success in the past pastoring churches, who were um, planting churches. But every time they would interview somebody, they'd say, well, that guy's great. And then they would get together and they would pray and then they would see God saying to them, that's not the right person. And so they would say no. So after doing this for about a year and a half, maybe almost two years, at the end of 1991, after almost two years of saying no to people and frustrating a lot of people, a lot of people saying, God has called me, and them saying, yeah, maybe, but not with us. District officials saying, okay, we're tired of sending people to you. Every time we send people to you, say no. And they'd be like, what's wrong with that person? They're great. No, God told us no. God told us no. And at the end of 1991, this guy graduates from a Bible college in Missouri. He has zero Christian experience. Zero pastoring experience. He knew nothing about pastoring. He had never preached a sermon, more than two or three sermons to a to a Christian person in his life. He'd only been involved in prison ministry and street ministry. He knew nothing about church. He had never served communion. He had never done a baby dedication. He had never served, he had never done a wedding. He had absolutely no idea about those things. Um, he had no idea how to run a church. He never run a staff at a church. He had no idea how to start one. He'd only been saved for a few years. He had no money. And neither did the church that said God told him to help. He came to the district office after being told not to even bother coming. And he met with the superintendent on his 50th birthday. The superintendent's 50th birthday. <laughs> and he told the superintendent he wanted him to plant a church. And after an hour of meeting, the superintendent pushed his books aside, looked across at him and said, I forbid you to take a staff position in our district. You will split a church. He said, God wants you to be a church planter. I said, that's why I told you that. Well, the superintendent um, thought he might as well tell this guy because he could tell he was kind of rough and he was kind of, you know, just kind of he's going to go for it no matter who gets in his way kind of a thing. 
He said, I'm going to send you up to these people in the UP and see what they think about you. And he really thought to himself, they will probably reject him like they rejected everybody else because they rejected everybody else who had qualifications and, and all the goods, and you have none of it. So they're going to say, surely no, but I've got to send somebody up there, and you seem crazy enough that you'll go to this young man. Well, at their meeting with that man and his wife, beautiful wife, I must add, <laughs> that board of that church met, and they, they met with this couple, and then they told the couple, well, we'll just leave, just go ahead and go, because until God, unless God tells us is what we want, it doesn't mean pay to talk anymore. So the couple drives home. They said, we'll hear from you in two weeks. Well, that day the phone rings. And this couple, and this board calls up and says, God has talked to us. You're supposed to come to Marquette to start a church. So that penniless, experienceless couple with a very good-looking wife <laughs> moved to Marquette, had absolutely nothing, had $1,000 in their pocket that they had saved after graduating from college with no promise of a penny, and virtually zero support and had no idea what to do but went to that town and worked to see a church established and God established a church and, there's a, and, it, and it was very successful and very positive and filled with hundreds of new converts and the church is still ministering today. Now, a lot of you know the moral of the story. Uh, you know, the guy of the story, rather, before you, the moral. The guy of the story, the couple in the story, is Suzanne and I. And No, 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 no please don't. No, seriously, no. I'm not being mean, I'm just saying no. Because it's nothing to do with me. That's the point of the story. Nothing. I don't know how more I could describe what I did not know. Zero. No experience. I remember the first wedding. I had no idea what to do. Somebody's going to get married. I said, how do I do a wedding? I, I told Suzanne when I got done, I'm going to call Pastor Bruce because you graduated. I said, same school. I said, I'm calling CBC and asking for my money back. I said, four years of Bible college, I know nothing. They didn't tell me how to do anything. They taught me theology, but they didn't tell me how to run a church. I didn't know it until I got out there to run a church. I thought, I have no idea what to do. I had no idea. First time I'm supposed to do communion. I'm like, I suppose it's a church. We have to serve communion. I thought... I've never even been a deacon serving communion. I have no idea what to do. So I started thinking, what do people do? I got my wedding video, video out and watched my wedding video to figure out <laughs> the honest truth, to know how to do the first wedding. I would sit with Suzanne all the time. I'd say, you've been in church longer than me. How do I do communion? <laughs> Isn't that true? All the time. I'd say, I have no idea what to do. All I'd ever done is witness to lost people. That's it. Penniless, experienceless. And God established a great church. What's the moral of the story? The moral of the story is our memory verse for this week. John 15, 5. I was going to tell you to put it on the screen in a minute, but uh, I see you didn't probably know one of our screens died during worship. That's all right. Can you say the memory verse with me this morning? John 15, 5. I am the vine. You are the branches. If a man remains in me and I in him, he will bear much fruit. For apart from me, you can do nothing. Put it up there once, on that side. <laughs> I am the vine. You are the branches. 
If a man remains in me, in Jesus, and I in him, he will bear much fruit. Apart from me, from Jesus, you can do nothing. Now church, I'm not certain, and nor am I trying to honestly make an evaluation of any point about the four attempts before Suzanne and I went to Marquette. All I know is, is they went, they had great funding, we had almost none. They had great people with great experience. We had no experience. They went with teams. We had nobody, virtually nobody. The church in Ishpeming that helped us start, the pastor literally said to me, Mark, the people who are going to join with you, about 20 of them, and I mean no disrespect, but this is what he said, they are the bottom of the barrel from our church. I'm sorry to handcuff you like this, but these are the ones who drive from that town. And he said, they're the last people I would choose to start a church with. I'm not certain why those other four church plants failed. I don't know. I don't even know the people involved. But I do know their story. I know that they were competent. I know they were resourced. And I don't really know if those people involved really had heard from God to go do what they were doing. I don't know. I don't know if God was calling them to do that work at that time or if it was just a good idea or maybe more Clearly, maybe it was just a good strategic plan because we're a church planting movement and that's what we do and where we go, it works. And therefore, we, that means we have to go there at this time. I'm not sure why. But what I do know is that when God called Suzanne and I, that really good-looking wife with no children at the time and no resources, he called us there to Marquette. This is what I know, without a doubt that we were joining into the plan of God, and that's what we sensed. We were joining into the plan of God. The plan had been revealed to that, that those board members that we didn't know, they didn't know us. God had revealed His plan years earlier that God wanted to establish a church in Marquette and that He would show who the leader was supposed to be. And the plan had been in place years earlier because when I went to Bible school, my my plan was I was going to be an evangelist. That's what I believed God would have me do, being an itinerant evangelist going from church to church. That's why I went to school. That was my major. And Suzanne and I were dating, and she kept saying, you're not going to be an evangelist. You're going to be a pastor. And I kept saying, you're crazy. It's never going to happen. And I thought she was nuts, and she thought I was nuts. She was just quiet about it, and she realized, well, God will get him. You know? And one day, at 5 o'clock in the morning, in a prayer room, at a Bible school, I'm in there praying, and I'm a, remember my background. I'm a brand new believer, only been saved for a little while, and I'm born and raised in the denominational church that's probably 100 years old in Cedarburg, Wisconsin. And I'm in that prayer room, and God speaks to me as audibly as God could speak and says, you're going to be a church planter. And I had never heard the term in my life. I had absolutely no idea what it was. And that day I go to chapel, and they introduce a guy. And he's a church planter. And Andrew so-and-so is a church planter. And at their service, I walk down to him. And maybe I've told you this story, but I walk down to him and I say, Sir, they introduced you. You preached that you're a church planter. What's a church planter? And he looked at me and he honestly said like this. He went, Where are you from, boy? <laughs> and I said, Wisconsin. He goes, Oh, that explains it. He goes, What city in Wisconsin? And I said, It doesn't matter. You've never heard of it. He goes, What city? I said, no, what's, I said, it doesn't matter. It's a small town. You've never heard of it. I said, it's near Milwaukee. He said, what city? 
I said, what do you care about what city? He said, just tell me the city. I said, you've never heard of it. It's called West Bend. And the guy gets tears in his eyes. He goes, I planted the four square church in West Bend, Wisconsin, years earlier. And I said, it's on paradise. It's now a chiropractor. Yep, Pastor Joe is for Pastor Joe. Is he in here today? For Pastor Joe was the pastor. He said, I planted the church that I've been praying for a sign from God that I didn't make a mistake stopping church planting and coming to this school. He said, and God told me he's going to give me a sign. You're my sign. So I was his sign and, and he was my sign. And he, I said, so what's a church planter? <laughs> he said, I start churches and I'll never forget the day. I said, people are still starting new churches? <laughs> I had absolutely no idea. I said, why do they need new churches? There's churches everywhere. And he goes, it's just the way it is. God plants new churches, brings new people to Christ. We need more churches. And, and I was afraid to tell Suzanne because she was living in Wisconsin and at that time I was living in Louisiana going to school. And I thought, she was right. <laughs> no, fair, you know. God had a plan. It started long before we ever moved to Michigan. Years and years and years earlier, God had a plan. And as we were abiding with him in his plan, we saw much fruit for his kingdom. All kinds of fruit. Personal fruit of personal growth. Sometimes we forget about that fruit. I think it's usually the primary fruit. The fruit is the, the fruit of the fruit of the spirit in your life. God knocked off a lot of rough edges. He sent me to the perfect place. Because those guys were tougher than anybody on the planet. You know, and uh, it was a perfect place for me to go and grow and learn. But also the fruit of hundreds and hundreds of new converts. Building a church out of new converts. It was wonderful. And this is what I know. I know that apart from him, nothing would have been accomplished in the Marquette. And if you were looking at the history of the Assemblies of God in church planting Wisconsin, Northern Michigan, apart from his plan, it would say, and there were five failed church plants in Marquette. Say something with me this morning. Say this word. Say nothing. Say it again. Nothing. Nothing. I want to settle something today for your own good. I want to release you from carrying around a responsibility that isn't ours to carry. This verse teaches us, apart from God, we can do nothing. I couldn't plant a church on my own. I can't lead someone to Christ on my own. I can't heal the sick on my own. Apart from Him, we can do nothing. I can't develop the fruit of the Spirit. You want to frustrate yourself your whole life? Try in your own effort to develop the fruit of the Spirit. I'm going to become patient. You drive yourself nuts. It's something that comes from an abiding relationship with God where God transforms you, makes you into a different person. Apart from Him, we can do nothing on our own, by our own wit, with our own skills and our own strategies that the brightest human minds have. We can do nothing of spiritual, eternal value. And here's the release for you today, and we're not supposed to do it on our own. It's God's work. It's God's the one who's working. And he invites us to join with him. Surely on our own, we can build businesses and we can raise families and we can develop and run religious institutions. But what we build will not be what God desires and it will not be filled with the power of God. His presence will not dwell in that place. He will not manifest his reality in that place in and through it. And lives will not be changed and he will not be glorified. We can do things on our own. 
And quite honestly, much of what goes on in the name of Christ is simply good, competent people doing good work on their own, but it will not manifest the glory of God and it will not bring change to people's lives and to a community as a whole. It won't happen. This is what John 15.5 communicates to us. That apart from Jesus, we can do nothing. But if a person, any person, a guy who has no experience, who's a dyslexic, who's afraid to stand in front of a crowd, who doesn't want to be a church planter, that guy and his wife, who's afraid to stand in front of a group, who will not play a song on the piano and sing because she says, I can't play the piano. Any person abides with Jesus. Then he then they will bear much fruit. They will be, be greatly productive and greatly blessed and become greatly whole. I'm talking spiritually whole. Spiritually fruit whole. Church, it's all about the relationship between you and and Jesus. Real Christianity is about a relationship with a person. God himself revealed in Jesus, the Son of God. And friends, that's what Henry Blackaby is stressing in the first unit of experiencing God. That nothing is anything without a relationship with Jesus. That's what unit one's all about. When we live in a daily relationship with Jesus, then the sky is the limit. Then we enter into this divine arena where God is working out His eternal plans by His eternal limitless power and we get to experience Him as we join with Him in His activity. Our relationship with Him is experienced and developed as we see Him accomplishing His plans through us. We're just the servants. We just are doing what He is doing. We're just joining with Him as we abide with Him and we see we be part of what He's doing. That's where we experience Him. And if we don't join him in his activity, then listen, church, we miss the reality of a relationship with him. We miss the power and the wonder and the awe of a relationship. So that Christianity becomes nothing more than going to church and knowing doctrine. That's what it becomes. Friends, Jesus died to give us a lot more than that. He died to bring us into a real and a daily relationship with God the Father and Jesus His Son. So when we experience God, we can experience God then as He becomes the one who, who parts our Red Seas. And He's the one who provides manna for our situations. We experience Him as He does the impossible through us as we partner with Him. And it all flows out of, it all starts with the relationship. It's all based on knowing that God pursues a continuing love relationship with you that is real and personal. That's what Blackaby lays as the foundational thought. That God pursues, He's the pursuer. That's what was spoken prophetically to us today. That He's the pursuer of a continual love relationship that is real and personal. Now, knowing this to be true, it leads me to a question. And the question is this. What does that relationship look like? If we're supposed to have a real and personal relationship. This has been confusing to me for a lot of years. Blackaby has been the one who freed me up on this. And it's why I, one, maybe one of the main reasons I love experiencing God. Because he's helped me to figure it out. 
What's that relationship look like? Is it like my relationship with my wife and my kids and my friends? Is that what the relationship is like? Sit down and drink coffee together. Rap. Talk. Is that what it's like? Well, John's gospel gives us some insight into what our relationship with God is to be like by showing us what Jesus' relationship with the Father is like and how it was revealed while Jesus ministered on earth. So grab your Bibles with me today. Turn to John chapter 5. Look at one section of Scripture this morning. John chapter 5, starting in verse 17 through verse 20. You there? Bring your Bibles to church, friends, so that God can speak to your heart. If you don't have a Bible, there's Bibles in the pews in front of you. Take one and keep it if you don't have it and read it. John 5, starting in verse 17. But he answered them, Jesus answered, My father is working until now, and I myself am working. For this reason, therefore, the Jews were seeking all the more to kill him, because he had not only was breaking the Sabbath, but also was calling God his own father, making himself equal with God. Therefore, Jesus answered and was saying to them, Truly, truly, I say to you, the son can do nothing of himself, unless it is something he sees the father doing. For whatever the father does, these things the son also does in like manner. For the father loves the son and shows him all things that he himself is doing. And the father will show him greater works than these so that you will marvel. What do we see here in John's gospel about the relationship between Jesus and the father? What was their relationship like? In John's gospel, John writes what Jesus had to say about his relationship with the Father. He records, the words are in red, right? Jesus is saying, this is what my relationship is like. And the first thing as I read that text, the first thing that I notice is that he explains his relationship in a very particular way. And this is the thing that, that changed my life in understanding the relationship of God. He explains the relationship between Jesus and the Father in terms of God's activity. I'm going to explain what I mean by that. He explains the relationship in terms of God's activity. Look what he says. He says, my father is always at work. I too am working. The son can do nothing by himself. He only does what he sees his father doing or working at. Look at what Jesus does here. He defines their relationship in terms of their partnership in God's activity. I think this is immensely important and so often overlooked. Jesus related to the Father by watching to see where God was working and joining with him in that activity. And here's the key, friends. Their relationship, get this, revolved around the activity they were joined together in doing. That's what, that was the core, the heart of their relationship. Their relationship revolved around the activity that they were joined together in doing. This is so key. Because so often people think that the relationship with God is centered upon some type of mystical experience. That somehow you and God just sit down and drink coffee together and He gives you some devotional thoughts for the day and that's your relationship with God. I know I'm going to kind of freak some of you out right now when I say this. 
That might sound nice, but that's not how Jesus explains his relationship, nor is it what Scripture reveals about a relationship with God. Yes, Scripture does tell us that his sheep know his voice. We can hear him speak. So we do know God is speaking to us. He does have a way of clearly communicating to us so that we do know what he has to say to us. We know that we hear his voice. But Scripture reveals that people come to experience and know God as they partner with him in his activity. If you don't don't think that's life, just think about the lives of Moses, Abraham, Noah, Peter, James, John, Paul. All of their lives revolved around the activity of God. That was where they experienced God, in the activity. And friends, when you take faith risks at His leading, and then He does miraculous things in your circumstances, that is the relationship. That's where you experience God. By revol- it revolves around His activity. Listen to me today, because some of you need to really hear this, because I needed to hear this for years, and I need to be reminded of it all the time. To think that you will have a vibrant relationship with the Lord without participating in His activity just simply isn't so. Go and crawl off on a rock somewhere all by yourself and just stay in there all alone. You won't have the kind of activity relationship that God wants you to have. To believe you're going to have this relationship just by always just being alone, never, never getting into the world, you will never experience a relationship with God because God's relationship revolves around the partnership in doing His activity. So to think that you'll have a vibrant relationship with the Lord without participating in His activity just simply isn't biblical. It's simply not so. A relationship with God is experienced in the activity. It's experienced in the work of God. I experienced God as He planted a church through me and my wife. As He did miracles, I experienced Him in the miracles, in the work. That's where you experience Him. Now, Don't take it to the extreme of what I'm not saying. I'm not saying that somehow frenzied activity equals a relationship with Jesus. That's not what I'm saying. No. It's about entering into the activity of God. And oftentimes that takes seasons and years of just waiting and looking and watching. It's about entering into God's activity. And what we see from Jesus' relationship with the Father is that Jesus, what does it say? He watched for the activity of God. He looked for what the Father was doing and joined with Him in it. But a common tendency of people, a mistake that our organization has made over and over, and I can say it because I'm one of us, I'm talking about me and our organization. A mistake, a a common tendency is that what we do is that we want to enter into the activity of God so we just dream up what we think God might want us to do. Someone probably said at some point, well, maybe we should just go start a church in Marquette, Michigan. Four groups obviously said that at some point. Lots of money was spent, lots of energy was used, but it didn't work. We'll get an idea. Maybe never ask God if it's his idea. 
And we get busy about it. And we beg God to join us in the activity that we've created. We ask Him to bless our work. We ask Him to bless our ideas. Friends, I want to tell you, that's backwards. That's the opposite of what it's supposed to be. Jesus, in His relationship, He reveals here, watch to see what the Father was doing and joined with the Father into the activity that the Father was already doing and already blessing and the Lord was already calling Him into. Friends, in order to do this, Jesus had to live in a position of observation. You need, to, you need to jot that down. You need to think about that because it needs to be the definition of your life. That you live in a position of observation. He had to be listening and watching and ready to join God when God spoke to him and revealed what he was doing. That's what Henry Blackaby was talking about when he turned one of our common phrases around where he said, people usually say this, don't just stand there, do something. And he turned it around and he said this. He said, God is crying out. Don't just do something. Stand there. Adjust your life to God. Spend time with God in His Word, talking with God to God in prayer, and ask God to show you what He is doing where you are at, because where you are at is God's plan for your life. Don't be trying to run somewhere else. Where you're at is God's plan for your life, and how He wants you to join with Him. That's what you're looking for. It's about a relationship. It's about you and me setting the things of this world aside. And I know that sounds, that's completely contrary to our culture. It's about you and me setting the things of this world aside and looking for the Father's activity and listening for His voice. And I want you to hear me today. That can't happen. It won't happen. When our lives are overfilled with other activities and noise. When we have every minute of our lives filled and every detail planned out. Then we're not living a life of observation. Like Jesus we need to be in a position of observation, looking for and listening for the Father, talking to the Father, worshiping the Father, feeding on the Father's words. And from that position of observation, we see and we hear and we enter into then His activity when it's exposed before us. That is the relationship. We cannot skip the relationship and try to do the work of God. wondering if I want to share a story with you because it happened last night. This morning I wrote it down and I'm going to share it with you even though it's time. Because it's how it works. I experienced this in an incredible way last night. Um, last night near evening, we were kind of done with the activities that we had to be done with for the day. And I had a few hours before I was going to go to bed. And you guys know Saturday nights I go to bed super early. I always go to bed early, but Saturday nights I go to bed super early. And, and I thought, you know, i got a few hours before I'm going to go to bed and it would be nice to run down to port and go fishing, try to catch a salmon. So I honestly sat there beforehand and I said, Lord, I really don't care about catching a fish. So if I go, help me to see what you are doing around me and I just want to join with you. I want, to, I want an attitude of observation. So while I'm fishing there, trying to catch a fish surrounded by people, this guy, I've never seen him before in my life, walks up and he was talking to different people and he walks up next to me and he starts talking to me. And when he's talking to me one time, a fish hit and I tried to set the hook and, and uh, I didn't get the fish and he goes, oh, I'm bothering you, don't, I won't, I'll leave you. I said, no, 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 no. I said, I don't care about catching fish. I said, talk to me. Guy was 74 years old. 
And um, we started talking. He said, he's leave. I said, you don't have to leave. Let's talk. So we just started talking, and he starts talking about fishing, and then he starts talking about, about why he doesn't go in his boat anymore because his kids don't want to go in the boat anymore, and his wife wanted to go in the boat until the day they got married. And then she stopped going in the boat the day they got married. Um, he said, she caught me, and then she changed. And he was divorced. He was broken. He started talking, and, and he started talking about other parts of the world. And I said, oh, I lived in Cambodia. He says, oh, so he was an ex-military guy, 20 years in the Navy. And he said, he said so uh, you must have been in the military if you traveled. I said, no, I, I always tell people this. I work for a nonprofit that develops orphanages and schools. Because they don't understand. You know, say you're a missionary. It was all that's kind of cool. We started talking and talked about going all over the world. And, and finally, he started talking, and he started talking about his real personal life, and, and he's just kind of pouring out his whole heart. They're standing there. There's guys all around. They're standing there. We're leaning on this bar. I got a fishing rod in the water, and we're, he's right here, and we're talking. And I'm thinking, God, you're doing, you, this is a divine appointment. He's talking to me. And at some point, he said something about, he pointed to a church steeple in town. He goes, I was raised in that church, and I'm not welcome there anymore. He goes, I got divorced and I got remarried and I said, I can't take communion. And he started talking about how brokenhearted he was and how they said he was going to go to hell and all this stuff because he wasn't part of their organization. And, and I said, well, you know what? I'm actually the pastor of a church in town here. He goes, really? I told him, Pastor Portview Church, and we started talking. And as we're talking, I said to him, I said, can I share you something with you? I said, before I left to come here tonight, I said, I really don't care about catching a fish, but I just felt like I should go fishing. And I said to the Lord, God... I just want to see what you're doing around me. Just give me some kind of divine appointment tonight. Here's a 74-year-old, very large guy, standing next to me down at the port. No one else knows what's going around, surrounded by fishermen, and he's crying. I said, God loves you that much that he made this divine connection. He goes, you really believe that? I said, God made a divine, a divine appointment for us today. I said, I came fishing and you came down here. I said, I fish here all the time. I've never seen you before. And the man sat there and cried and he goes, would you come to my house sometime? I said, yeah. He goes, can I come visit you at your church? And I said, 9 o'clock tomorrow. <laughs> and he said, no, I don't think so. He said, can I come visit you at your office? I said, absolutely. He told me where he lives, and I said, he goes, oh, I got tons of tomatoes. Why don't you come to my house? I'll give you some tomatoes. So one of these days, I'm going to show up at his house. And when I told him that God loved him and God, God orchestrated our time, that God wants to bring healing into his life, the man sat there and wept down on the lake shore with, with all kinds of people standing around. That all stemmed from one thing. Having, living a position of observation. I wasn't there to catch fish. I like to catch fish. I wish I would have caught a fish. I didn't catch a fish. I caught a fish somebody else snagged and I had to let it go. <laughs> but I don't need a fish. But Jesus said something to me years and years ago and he said it to you too. He looked at some fishermen and he said, you're fishers of, people, fishers of fish, but I want to make you fishers of men. That comes from an attitude of observation. It doesn't matter if you're fishing or you're at work or you're going to the grocery store. God is at work all around you all the time. And he's calling you to join with him. And if you run with your head down, doing the task at hand, getting done because you've got to get to the next thing all the time, I'm not saying you should be lazy and not busy because I'm really busy. But you can walk with your eyes open and an attitude that says, Lord, where are you working around me? And if everything you do just revolves around what you do and you're never having divine appointments, you probably shouldn't be doing what you're doing. 
God wants you to have divine appointments. It's the most important thing for people who watch for the activity of God. Nothing, church. Nothing. Apart from Jesus, we can do nothing. Apart from an abiding relationship with Jesus, we have nothing but self-willed and self-energized activity, and that is empty. It's empty. It's why people leave churches. It's why the American church is plummeting, because we're creating a church that cares nothing. It's just just horizontal. It's just about meeting everybody's needs, making everybody feel good, making everything brief so they're happy, singing the kind of songs that they... It's not about that. It's about a connection to God. It's about God coming down and changing your world. And that happens when you enter. The relationship is when you enter into the activity of God. Not about just sitting there and saying, you know, it's just all about me. I'm just going to do what I want to do. Or being frenzied with your activity. But when we abide, if we abide with Him and He abides with us, then we bear much fruit. Because we enter into the arena of God into the activity of God and that's exciting and it's powerful if that guy wouldn't have came by me last night I would have made a change when I was last night because as I was standing there fishing and I knew we weren't going to catch any fish the water was too warm there were fish in there that they weren't biting and they weren't going to bite and people would move to the other part of the harbor way out and they were casting and they were catching fish I was going if I move out there I might catch a salmon But it wasn't even a thought in my mind. It was, Jesus said, let's go fishing. It's not for fish, it's for people. It was all about, it's all about the person. That's exciting. I came home and I said, you should see what happened. I was excited. If I would have caught, she knows, if I would have caught five fish, I would have come home and go, I got to vacuum seal those stupid things. The kitchen's going to be a mess. It's going to take me an hour and a half. And she's goes, and she'll say to me, she'll say, why do you go fishing? Why do you do it? Why do you bring them home? So we can just give them away. That's what happens, right? We give them all away because we only keep a couple of them. She goes, why do you do it? She goes, you don't seem to like it. <laughs> but I came home and I said, I've got to tell you what happened. I met this guy. It was a divine appointment. The excitement came from that. That was the excitement. That's where we enter in to the activity of God. I want to close our time today by just giving each of us a chance to take some time to just stand there this morning. Don't just do something. Invite the worship team to come up and you can come up now if you want. And it's what I want to challenge you to do. I want you to pull up, put all the activity out of your mind that's going to go on later today. Don't allow what's coming up the rest of this day to rob you of this moment, of just standing there in the God's presence and being with Him. And what I'm going to challenge us to do as we end this service, I'm going to challenge you to worship Him and talk to Him and open yourself up to His voice and ask Him to show you what He is doing and how He wants you to enter into His activity. And you say, well, He didn't say that. He may well not show you because you're not in the place, you're not outside this room right now, but you're saying, God, I commit that today as I walk with you, I want to be in a position of observation, looking for what you're doing all around me. I want to have eyes that see all the activity of God around me. You're saying, God, I'm committing to walking and living in a position of observation. We're going to do that in just a moment. But before the worship team begins to play and you just begin to talk to God.
stand there. Maybe you're here today and you've never come to know Jesus as your Savior. But you know something today. You know that He's here and you know that He's talking to you. You feel it inside your heart. I want to give you a chance to respond to Him today. This is what He's calling to you today. The Bible says He's calling you to repent. And what repent means is to change your mind and change your direction. Change your life from where it is self-willed because you've never known anything else. You've been responsible for yourself to becoming God-centered. What he's saying is you give me your life and I'll take it and I'll make something beautiful out of it. He wants to forgive you of your sins and make you a brand new person and make you a child of God. But that requires an abandonment of yourself to Him and His purposes. I want to invite you all just to stand with me this morning and just begin to play something. I want you to just look at me this morning. If that's you today, if God's talking to you today, I want you to do something. When we close this service, I want you to make your way down this one of these aisles. And I want you to meet me up here. And I want to pray with you. I want to pray that you will turn from your life to God's life. And I tell you this. Don't let anything stand in your way. Don't let anything stand in your way. Because God has a life of abundance for you. Life that costs you everything, but you gain everything. So I encourage ask the worship team just to begin to lead in worship. I challenge you, church, just to begin to worship the Lord. Begin to position yourself. Say, God, I want to be in a position of, of observation. I'm going to live my life looking for you. I want you just to make some commitments. Maybe the Spirit of the Lord is going to speak to you and say, that means you've got to change some things. Well, then change them. Make a commitment today that you're going to walk out of here a different person. Come and spend some time at the altar praying. Pray in your seats. Whatever you desire, but don't leave until you've done some work with God. And if you say, Pastor Mark, it's my time. I'm ready to come to Jesus. Then I want you to come and meet me up in the front. Pray and close. Heavenly Father, I thank you that you love to fill the structure. You love to build a structure, church, a life, all the details, but then you say it's not complete until you come and fill it with your presence. Thank you that your presence has been so very real, experiential today. We can feel you in this place. And I pray, God, that as we go, we'd be different people than we came in. Changed by your presence for your glory. We love you, Lord. Let's begin to worship and praise you.